0: Father, we come before your throne of grace, O Lord. We praise you. We glorify you. We thank you, Lord, because you are good and you are good all the time to us, O Master. We thank you for your word that you minister as living bread to your children, O Master. And I pray that your word will become real to all of us. And as you minister your word through your Holy Spirit, I pray that it will help us to resurrect the the wisdom and the Uh, the living word of the Lord in our lives, O Lord, that it will bear the fruit that your righteous word will produce in every area of our life, O Lord. Lord, let this word be a revelation to everyone who receives it, O Master, that your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be glorified in everything that you share from the word, O Master. We thank you and we praise you because you are faithful to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 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 amen. The title of the message is Your, right, your Perfection of Finished Work. I know we, we talked about it a little bit last time, but I, I, I felt that we, we had to just lay a complete foundation regarding that once for all. Uh, we we lo- Just look at it as a focused subject and understand that once for all so that there will never be any dispute in your mind concerning your perfection in Christ Jesus. How many of you are ready for that, right? That your perfection in Jesus is a finished work. So can you repeat after me? A finished work. A finished work. A finished work. Your perfection is a finished work. Now, there is a lot of teaching... And a lot of worldly principles, both in the church and outside the church, will make you believe that you are not yet be- become perfect. You are on the way to perfection, right? And it's an ongoing process. There are a lot of steps that you have to take, you have to do. And because of that, your reward is always tomorrow. <laughs> because you are not perfect today, right? One day... You will be perfect, and one day when you're perfect, you will get your reward. Sounds very good, but the problem with that is what? That you don't get your reward today. You live in the today, you don't live in the tomorrow. So, unless you receive the reward, you cannot enjoy it, and you will always push it forward. So, because you are thinking that, oh, I'm not a strong believer, or oh, I do not have belief like what, what the Bible talks me to believe. I do not do the things that the Bible tells me to do. So you're always pushing it forward. Oh, my healing is dependent on some, my spirituality. Oh, I've not fasted enough. Oh, I've not prayed enough. Oh, my children are not all, done all the things that they have done. I have made all these mistakes. Oh, I have f- faltered as a believer. Oh, I have done stupid things. So guess what? So so your your confession is about a future perfection not your present reality. And the Bible says, and this is what Jesus came to the earth for, his whole work, say work, 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 your whole work, his whole work was for you to be made perfect. So in Jesus' eyes and in the Father's eyes, the work is not complete until... Who is perfect? Until you are perfect, or until I am perfect. So, so if, if if somebody sends somebody to do a work, right? You send a you you hire a contractor and you say, Hey, go here, fix my house. Once you have done it, come back and tell me that the work is done. So if he comes back and the house is not completely done, is the work done? No. No. The work is only done when the house is perfect you got it you understand it so yeah uh, you can keep your m- mics on mute because it gets a feed. it's gonna be difficult for me to w- not get feedback so you can always mute unmute so always free free to do that so let's go back to this very famous verse and you've heard this verse quoted a lot my word shall not return to me void right it shall accomplish what it is sent out to accomplish how many of you have read that verse correct Let's understand the context of that verse. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. And I'm going to start reading from verse 6 onwards, right? So, because it will clear a lot of of confusion about this chapter and about these verses. Because a lot of these verses are taken individually, not combined together to understand what the intention of those chapters is. Let's look at it. So, I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6 onwards. Seek the Lord... While he may be found, call upon him while he's near. That's a picture of our state right now. We can call upon Jesus anytime. We can call on the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the wicked forsake his way. Now that sounds as if the wicked has to clean himself before asking God. That's not what it's saying. Let the wicked forsake his way means the, the way is the way of righteousness by works. So he's saying, let the wicked, that means you and I, not now, before accepting Jesus, we were all wicked. We were all under sin. So don't forget. And what is the way that the people who don't have Jesus, what is the way they seek to approach God? What is the way they use? Self-righteousness. So they say, hey, if we need to go close to God. We need to do all these right, good things to be close to God. So God is saying, let the wicked stop using that way. Forsake that way. See, whenever the Bible talks about the way, he's talking about the way without blood. Remember the first time the word way shows up in the Bible? It is, uh, in fact, it is commonly, not not the first time, it's commonly used with the sacrifice of Cain. Remember, in in the book of Jude, he says, They have erred in the way of Balaam, in the error of Balaam and the way of Cain. What was the error of Cain? Cain was brought a sacrifice based on his works. And it did not have blood in it because it did not have death in it. Anything that you do to atone for your sins, which does not involve death, your death or somebody else who credits you with his death, will not be acceptable to you there are only two ways that you can be close to god once you're your sinner there is only two ways one by you dying and fully paying for the price how long will that take forever, <laughs> forever. <laughs> so so when when people go to hell they are not going to hell because of For Because they didn't do something. They are going to hell because they didn't do something. They did not receive the other method of getting to Jesus. Because they said, "Oh, you know what, I'm going to pay for it. So God says, fine, go ahead and pay for it. And I'm going to give you enough time to do that. How long is that? Forever. Forever. So you're going to spend eternity in hell trying to pay for something that you cannot finish paying. So you're going to be there forever separated from god punished bearing the punishment because you're trying to pay it up but you can never pay it up or the second way is you receive the credit of this death of a man called jesus who came and died up lived a perfect life and died which he could not he's like teflon against which oil could not stick but still oil stuck because he took you he became you He became your, he took your wickedness and he took that death and he died. And God says, oh, guess what? I'm going to credit you that death. Will you take that death? You will take that death. So he says, so he's telling the wicked man, let the wicked man forsake his way or the way of righteousness by works and and let the unrighteous man, his thoughts. What are the thoughts of an unrighteous man? He's thinking that, you know what? I'll become righteous by doing the right things, by fasting more, by praying more, by, uh, by, uh, giving to the poor those are his thoughts he says stop thinking those thoughts look at what he says let him return to the lord and he will have mercy on him has on him and to a god for he will abundantly pardon you see a wicked man a man who is separated from god never thinks that god will abundantly pardon you know a lot of believers are in that state they believe that their perfection is good enough till their next sin The moment they commit the next sin, that's not covered. I have to do a certain number of things to get perfection now. Because I've lost fellowship. How many of you have heard you lose fellowship with God? (laughs) It sounds so spiritual. But there is no biblical basis for it as a believer. How can you lose fellowship when you are in Christ Jesus? How, do you, how, do you, how does that even work? How does that even look? You are in Jesus, but now you are not in fellowship with Jesus? I mean, how does that work? Fellowship means being with somebody. But you can never be out of that somebody because you are stuck in Jesus right now. Just like when you first sinned, you were stuck in Adam. Whatever you did could never get you out of Adam. All the curses of Adam came upon you automatically. You will, you would give, you would tip a hundred dollars to the waiter, but still, you are still a son of Adam. You would still get evil. No credit was given to you for all your good works because you were stuck in Adam. Ultimately, a second Adam had to come, the Lord Jesus, and get you out, out of that prison by He taking that death, and now He's put Him in the second Adam. The second Adam is called Jesus. Now, for for. Ever, you are in Jesus forever you are perfect forever you are spotless forever you are blameless nobody can accuse you, forever so Josna nobody is ever dying anymore, okay <laughs> whether you learn or not <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you learn or not you don't learn anything but you are still perfect you are still alive you're still resurrected in Christ Jesus. You make sense? See now, nothing that you do can get you out of this prison called righteousness in Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that once again. Nothing that you do can get you out of this prison called righteousness in Christ Jesus. You got it? Nothing. Nothing. Because the Lord will how, how does He pardon according to this verse? Abundantly. Abundantly. Means what? Does he keep a record of how many times he will pardon you? No. No. Because if he keeps a record... If, so, for example, if he says, uh, George, I'm going to pardon you, but I will, only, I will pardon you only a million times. Is that okay, George, for you? Absolutely not. You'll be exhausted in one day. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I hope you're not sinning that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Annie, you're in big trouble, buddy. <laughs> I'm glad we are having the session. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no I, I definitely know that is a superlative. But but look at it. What, what is the problem with a with a count with respect to forgiveness? Because you're never sure. You're never sure. Because you never knew whether the next sin is the one that is going to put you over the limit. You got it? So the Lord will abundantly part. Okay, let's go to Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66. And we'll come back to Isaiah chapter 55. But let's go to Isaiah chapter 66. I want you to get this. I want you to get this picture 100% in your spirit. Isaiah chapter 66 is a picture of the new heaven, the new Jerusalem that you are in Christ Jesus. This new place that you are in. And he's talking about after resurrection. This is what God God says in Isaiah 66. By the way, Isaiah 66 reflects the 66 books in the Bible. It's perfect. And the last book is the book of Revelation. Isaiah 66 reflects the new heaven, new earth, and all that we are in Christ Jesus. It's exactly, it kind of matches, right? It's a mini Bible, Isaiah. Okay, but look at verse 12, uh, verse 11, uh, verse 10 okay verse 10 rejoice with jerusalem jerusalem here is not the physical jerusalem on earth it is the jerusalem that you are part of called heavenly jerusalem or the church got it so rejoice with jerusalem and be glad with her all who love her rejoice for joy with her all who mourn for her that you may feed and be satisfied now every believer is completely fed and satisfied with the consolation of her bosom. That means, how are you going to be satisfied? You're satisfied by what Jerusalem provides you. That means, and what does Jerusalem provide you? Jerusalem provides you her prosperity, Jerusalem provides you her righteousness, Jerusalem provides you her healing. You're talking about heavenly Jerusalem, that is the picture of Jesus Christ. He provides you complete righteousness. And what will you do with that? That you may drink deeply. And be delighted with the abundance of her glory. You know, that verse sounds a little heavy. But what he says is, when you drink deeply, what does that imply in terms of supply? There is enough and more. Enough and more. If somebody gives you a jug of juice and you have to share it with everybody else, but you are the first one to go. And you drink deeply, what are the others thinking? I hope there's enough for me. <laughs> I hope there's enough for me. You know? So, so typically, the guy who goes first, what are you telling him? Drink less. Drink, don't drink deeply. Why? Because there is not going to be enough left for everybody else. So, but what God is saying in Isaiah 66 drink deeply. Deeply of what? Of His glory. And based on the last message that we studied, what is His glory? This good opinion about you. Or your righteousness that he gives to you as a gift. That means how much can you drink deeply of his righteousness? There's no end. There's no end. You know, there was one person, one disciple in all of Jesus' disciples who really tested that limit of abundance drinking. Who was that? Peter. Pete, Pete, Peter really tested the limits on how much he could be pardoned. In fact, he was the one, I think, who asked, how often should I ask uh, pardon my brother? And Jesus said 70 times 7. That means like no limit because he's, God says, God God, that applies to God also. How often should God forgive you? How often should God forgive you? Forever. Forever. 70 times 7. That means there is no limit to it. I think somebody with some calculator would be already calculating 70 times 7. But that's not the point. (laughs) Because he's saying that you cannot... you cannot. So if I'm making a demand of you that you forgive, that's because I'm doing the same thing. But Peter drank of this deeply. That means he said, okay, what if I mess up? Will God forgive me? Jesus forgive me. Jesus did. What if I tell Jesus, if I rebuke him? And Jesus called him Satan. He said, Satan, get behind me. Because he was under the influence of Satan. But yet, Jesus said, on this uh, revelation that you have, I'll build my church. So... He tested Jesus at, in his demand of how much deep he can drink to the limit that he denied Jesus with cursing. He did almost verbatim what maybe uh, Judas did. But Judas was not born again. Judas had not accepted Jesus as God, but his level of transgression came and may, may have even exceeded what Judas did he, because he denied him three times with cursing and he 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 was tormented and he was sad and he wept bitterly but he knew he had messed up but what happened he was restored in fact jesus after resurrection sent his uh, 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 told the woman say go and tell peter first word out of his mouth was go and tell peter that i'm resurrected why He should be the last one. But because Peter tested it, that, man, I can drink deeply of this and I can still be satisfied. That means how deep can you drink of God's forgiveness? How deep can you uh, drink of his uh, not remembering your sins? How deep can you drink? Peter tested it and, and he realized that, man, there is no limit. And ultimately, Jesus says, if you love me, feed my sheep. And he set him up as a pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. Of all the people that God could choose to pastor a church, would you choose a guy who denied Jesus three times? But he was a model to say that, you know what? My righteousness has no limit. He can drink deeply And be satisfied. And his first sermon in Acts, he says, You men of Israel, you have denied the Holy One of Israel. (laughs) He's turning around and accusing the people because he's so confident of who he is now in Christ Jesus. That's the power. That's the power of this abundance of glory. Okay, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 55, verse Verse eight onwards, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and nor are my, your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there and water the earth and make it bud, bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God says, my word that comes out of my mouth, in context, what word is this that goes out of God's mouth? Abundant pardon. You got it, Sushil. You got it. It is the abundant pardoning word. Not the other word. A lot of people use this word about... You know, the, God's word or the law or his accusation or his judgment. Oh, God's word will not return void. No, what word? The context here is very clear. The context here is the word of forgiveness, the word of righteousness, the word of abundance of pardon. He says this word, this word will accomplish what it wants. But you say, but that's not how I, I receive good things in my uh, walk with Christ. The good things that happen in my life is because I followed what God told me to do. No. According to this word, the good things happen when you receive the word of abundance of glory, the abundance of righteousness, the word of righteousness. What will it produce? It will accomplish what it sent out. What is God's declaration of no condemnation meant to achieve in your life? What is it meant to achieve? A lot of people don't read the next verse. Let's read the next verse. What will it, what will it achieve? Can uh, Josna read that? And let me read it to you uh, again. Because he says, what will it do? What will it do? You shall go out with joy. That will be always joy in your life. You will be led forth with peace. You will never have lack of peace in your life. The mountains and the hills will break forth with singing before you what does that mean it means like your job situation your job area will start producing stuff in your life your investments will grow tremendously your influence is going to all everything will break forth into joy before you that means it is all going to produce fruit why because i received this word of righteousness and this righteousness word is creating all these blessings you got the picture so what is happening what this this effect of this receiving the word is the work that God has sent this word to do in your life. That the prosperity that comes in your life, the influence that comes into your life, the victory that comes in your life is the result of the word that you have received. You got the picture? My word shall not return void. It shall accomplish what... That means by, by me... Abundantly pardoning you, and you believing that you will suddenly become very prosperous. You never connect that two and two together, but that's exactly what's gonna happen. Look at the next verse. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands, instead of the thorn shall come, shall come the cypress tree, instead of briar shall come of the myrtle tree. This harkens back to what in the Genesis? The curse. Remember that Cain, after he killed uh, Abel, God said the ground will no longer yield its increase to you. It's a law that is right now in the earth. Whatever strategy you do, whatever financial methods you try, whatever seminars you go to, how many books you read, whatever software you use, whatever jobs you apply, it will not produce fruit. And have you seen that? I have actually seen that. I've seen in people's life more brilliant people than me, more smarter people than me doing all the software and the techniques and influence with me. It just doesn't seem to work for them. Why? Because there's a curse on the ground that there is a curse that will operate. That curse is only reversed in you believing the righteous word righteousness message by faith in christ jesus it will only get reversed by that it it's a law let me ask you a question before you had internet before you had worldwide web before you had wi-fi could you do any of the stuff that you needed to do yes did you eat more food then or you you eat more food now so it's not like you have made a big difference just because you had more technology. Have you are you wearing better dress now than before you were wearing better dress but then? Is your health better now than you had health before internet? No. Nothing has changed. Just because you had more technology, more knowledge, it has not improved your lifestyle, it's not improved your peace, it's not improved your joy, it's not improved your prosperity. So obviously the curse is still working. In fact, you're working more for the same or even less right now. You're not living in a bigger house than you ever lived before. You got it? You see the picture? Because the curse is still operating. Because the thorn is still there. The briar is still there. It's only reversed in the word of righteousness that comes out of God's mouth and you believe it. What word? The word that you're abundantly pardoned. And that's the word that is not preached. That's the word that nobody tells. That's the word that nobody shares. Why? Why is it? When you know that's the only word that will produce the fruit, the fact that you cannot be condemned, the fact that you are always forgiven, the fact that you can make no mistake, that the fact that you're always perfect, why is that that word doesn't go forth? Because there is an agenda by satan and his kingdom to hide that glorious word that is why the bible says when mark chapter four when sower sows the word what happens who comes immediately and steals the word Satan. satan have you noticed that he comes immediately which word not the word of the law not the word of works not the word what word does he steal immediately the word of righteousness that God doesn't find fault with you, He robs that right away. Because the way He robs it, He says, "Oh, that's those guys are called those those uh, what do you call hyper grace guys? Oh, these guys are like crazy man. They, are, they don't keep the law. Oh, these guys just don't uh, you know they believe that uh, they can do anything and get away with it. Uh, they are." Uh, what's that? I mean, so he comes immediately and brings that skepticism in you. You don't receive that word. You don't allow that word to sit on the ground. You will. And Jesus says, this is the seed that is smaller than all the seeds, but who becomes larger than all the herbs. It's amazing because you, the seed will produce these fruits that you have been waiting for. The curse is reversed in the word of righteousness that you receive. Amen? So, perfection, the gospel of you being perfect in Christ Jesus is the truth that God sent his son Jesus into the world to accomplish. That was his work. So, when God, so, so let's look at this word again. What does it say in verse 11? For my word sh- that goes out for my mouth, it shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. Who is called the word of God? Jesus. So do you know Jesus was also called word? John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him nothing was made that was made. In him was light, and the light was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. It's talking about darkness jesus correct we all agree that's talking about jesus so this word went out of god's mouth came into the earth so jesus came to the earth correct did that word return back to god yes yes, yes. so and did it accomplish what it came for yes, yes. how do we know that okay 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 Ho- hold your thoughts i know i know the backstory. But how do, I, how do we know that he, the word accomplished what it was sent out for? By making us righteous. Correct. Okay, let's look at it. Let's look at it. Let's go to John chapter 17. Okay, everybody go to John 17. Because that was the passage that we took last time. Let's go to John chapter 17. Luke, John 17. So, when you teach this word to others, this is where you would go to. John chapter 17. John chapter 17 was. One, look at the first words out of Jesus' mouth. This is who speaking? Jesus. Jesus. Or, in other words, the word, the word speaking. So, the, the, the other day, the, I was asking Milu, and I was, we were sharing, and I was asking her, I said, how does the word return to God? I, you've heard that verse. My word shall not return to me void. I understand the fact that it will accomplish what it said, but how do words return how does words return back as fruit no 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 see so you so the word says god says my words i go out of my mouth then the words come back how do they come back okay forget about you just if guess you are not there in the picture god says a word you think because you are not there, the word will not now come back You're too important, Annie. <laughs> okay, Let's, let, let, let me ask again. When God says, my word shall not return to me void, forget about the void part of it. How does the word return? Successfully after accomplishing. That I know. But how does it return? Okay, I don't know also. But it returns. <laughs> I'm like, man, this is like deep revelation, right? But, I'm, but, but So this is, the, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. Anil, my word is a servant that I sent to do the job. I tell it to do the job. It goes and it will not come back without doing the job. And why does it come back? It comes back to tell me that I have done what you send me to do. You got the picture? So, God's word is a servant. Your words are a servant. Now, when you get this revelation, it will change your life. I'll tell you why. Because you are going to use words as servants to accomplish what you sent out. So, when you say something, you're saying, go servant right now and do what I tell you to do. And what will the word that comes out of your mouth, what will it do? It will do its job and it'll come back and report to you what? It is done. It is done. Remember this there was Jesus once called, I have not seen greater faith in Israel than this. What was he? who did he talk about? The centurion. You remember a centurion said it's so a Jesus was the centurion's servant was sick. So he sent somebody to tell Jesus about it. So Jesus said, Okay, I'll come and heal him. Halfway around the line, he sent servants back to Jesus and told them, Do not, why are you coming? Why are you coming? What does he say? What did he say? Do what? Just speak the word. Just speak the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am a person under authority. When I say to my servant, Go, he goes. When I say to my servant, come, he comes. When Jesus heard that, Jesus said, I have not found greater faith in all of Israel. And that's out of the mouth of a Gentile. Because the centurion got it. Say, he got it. He got it. it Because he's using words as what? Servants. So he's like... Correct. Right. So the, the word bears testimony. That's fine. But bottom line is the, words, the word comes back to you to tell you that I have done what it has been said. Your words are servants that go out and do what you, te- what you told it to do. Your words will return, but it will come and tell you that. So when you see bad stuff happening in your life, guess what's going on? Their words are returning and telling you what? <laughs> because it's telling you, 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 guess what, master? I did what exactly what you told me to do. Because you cursed that thing. I, I, that tree is cursed. That you said my job will be, go in six months. Guess what? I've come to report to you. <laughs> Mission, accomplished. Mission accomplished. Because it will return to you with the report. You got it? So when God, Moses sent out the spies, he, they went and they came back and they reported what they saw. Correct? Because you, when you send sent out, you come back. You're reporting. The words are reporting back and they're causing those things that they were sent out to accomplish. So you now be careful with the words that come out of your mouth because you are a priest and whatever a priest says will come to pass. You got it? My words will not return to me empty handed. See, God's words will never come back and report to him and saying, guess what? Your words are too difficult. Those guys are wicked people. I cannot make them righteous. <laughs> like, no, they, 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 they sinned again. God says, what did I tell you to tell them? Uh, you told me to tell them that they are perfect and righteous and they are sinless before me. Then what are you telling me now? Oh, but they are sinners. They are breaking all your laws. They cannot do that. God's words will say, if I say they are righteous, come back and report to me and declare to me that it has produced the fruits of righteousness in their life. And God measures fruits of righteousness by very concrete things. It's not like the super spiritual uh, holiness feeling that you have. He says like, yes, okay, does he have a bigger house? Does he have influence in his job? Is he increasing? Is his health well? So that's the fruit. So the word of righteousness is not this good feel message that God sends out that you may feel good about it. He wants to see the fruits of it. And the fruits will produce because it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to be the obedience of that servant to the master that sent him out. Do you understand what I'm saying? What the God's word of righteousness is so powerful, but it will only do if it is allowed for you to receive it. But if you don't receive it, it won't do the work. You have to receive that word. So you receive that servant. You receive that. That's why Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand all parables? Because this is the heart of my word. It's like if you do not, you are a ground." The seed will produce what it's supposed to do. But you have to allow the seed. Receive the seed in your life. I don't care how you receive it. You receive it 30 fold. It will produce a 30 fold return. 60 fold, 60 fold. 100 fold, 100 fold. What word? What word? Word The word of righteousness. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you. You have to give yourself entirely to this doctrine. Entirely. You have to meditate on it day and night. It will produce the fruit. You'll say, but I I don't don't have to do the other thing. He said, look at what Martha and Mary did. Mary chose the one part. She received that word of righteousness sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ. But you say, don't you think I should take care of the household? I just fed 5,000 people with five loaves. Don't you think I can take care of that? What produced that miracle? The word of righteousness. So he says, Mary has chosen the good part and it shall not be taken away from her. That means she has received that seed. I'm not going to take that seed away from her because that seed is now producing. And guess what? This is the very same Mary that prior to the uh, his crucif- uh, crucifixion in the house of Simon and Bethany, she came and poured out an alabaster flask of full of a year's wages. Let me ask you a question: When was the last time you gave an offering that was equal to your year's wages? Not yet. No, not yet. I like that. I like that because you are saying it can happen, right, Raj? Absolutely. Absolutely. How was she able to give that? She was abundantly blessed. Correct. Correct. That word of righteousness that she received from Jesus made her supernaturally rich. In fact, it was so abundant and extravagant that it propelled Judas out of timing to go and betray Jesus. You know, they were not planning to betray Jesus during the Passover. Because they said, lest the people Rise up in uproar against them. Let's not crucify him during the Passover. Let's wait after the Passover. But what happened? But Jesus had to die on the Passover. Why? To fulfill the, to fulfill the prophecy that he is the Passover lamb. But they have planned that they will not crucify Jesus in the Passover because the people are going to rise up against them. Correct? What happened? Correct. Mary happened. Mary happened. Mary gave that offering that incensed Judas, and and, and and Judas said, "If they, somebody should have given this money to the poor, poor instead of wasting it on Jesus, that sounds so spiritual, isn't it? Right? See, it doesn't make any logical sense because when you receive the word of righteousness, you don't do." Conventional things. You do unconventional things like breaking alabaster flasks on the top of some rabbi. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, fo- crazy stuff. But that's because they were, he was she was led by the Holy Spirit. You just walk into the right occasion. You just do the right things. Prosperity enables you to b- brings you into the r- before kings. The Bible says in Proverbs, your gift brings you before kings, and and her gift brought her before. The only king of all kings, and she poured it out. And guess what happened? Judas became mad. Judas told everybody, What is this? We should have given this, uh, given the uh, sold this, and given to the poor. And Jesus rebuked Judas in the front of everybody, and that hurt him. He said, Leave her alone. She has done this for the day of my burial. The poor you have with you always. And he was so offended by that, he immediately went out after that to the uh, Jews and said that I will hand hand him over right now. And now they were like stuck. They were not planning to crucify Jesus, but now the only opportunity is right now. So that, her receiving the word of righteousness and operating in that gift, made the way for your salvation that's the power the the mountains and the hills shall break forth in singing before you that's the power of this word hallelujah okay now let's go back to jesus jesus as the word let's go to john chapter 17 what kind of lifestyle is that (laughs) that's so good who buys perfume bottles that are worth one year's wages? Oh, Paris Hilton, possibly. Well, <laughs> or, or somebody. So, you, know, you need to be crazy rich to buy stuff. I mean, I love, Raj, that you brought that up. I never even thought about it. Indeed. Abundant. Abundant. So and I believe that this thing happened after she met Jesus. And we will, we will find about it more when we reach and see her one day. That the abundance, abundance, that means the Holy Spirit, like when Jesus was born, immediately gold came into the household in Bethlehem and Nazareth. You got it? In Bethlehem, gold came in, silver came in, incense came in, spices came in, kings started flowing in. Why? Why is everything starting to flow towards this uh, benign, nondescript house in Bethlehem? What's happening there? The king no. The word. See, everything is obedient to the word. Everything is going towards the word. Because they received the word, The everything else came to them. See, you need to get this. Once word is in your house, which word? The word of righteousness. The word of righteousness. Once that is there, everything... Become, you become like a black hole for prosperity. You become like a black hole for healing. That means everything has to find its way to that place. Everything has your address. Even checks show up at your house. You have to send it back saying that this doesn't belong to me. <laughs> because, because everything has your name written on it. Everybody is trying to search out for you. In fact, they came and said, where is he who is born? The king of the Jews. That means everything is about him now. So that's what, let, so now let's look at this word. He said the word shall not return to its void unless it has accomplished what it has been sent out. Correct? Okay, let's read Jesus' words. Uh, John chapter 17, verse uh, uh, 1 onwards. And Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Now this is the word reporting back to God. Father, Father. The R has come. Remember, you asked, "How does the word return?" You are about to hear the actual operation of the word. This is what your words do. This is what your words come and tell you. Sushil, the R has come. Amen. So, so you're like you're waiting for healing. Finally, the word shows up and says, "Sushil, the R has come." Annie. You've been waiting on some miracle for such a long time. Finally, the word shows up and says, What, Annie? Yeah, the hour has come. <laughs> Isn't that what you're waiting for? Isn't that what you're waiting for? Because it, uh, the, the word, because you, you, you prophesied this, you declared this, for years you said this, you never gave up. You, finally, it shows up and tells you what, Annie? The hour has come. You, you get the picture? The word reporting back to the father. and look at, look at the exact words that the word is telling to the father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. You have given him authority over all flesh. That means the word has authority to change every situation. It doesn't matter who is in the way. It doesn't matter whether you have enough money to buy that house. It doesn't care. Because who has authority over all flesh? The word. So the, the word is coming back and telling the father. Guess what, father? The word has authority over everything that you wanted to tell. It's, it's happened. Talk about it. He shall give him eternal life. To as many as you have given him. That means he doesn't discriminate. It has nothing to do with what they do. It doesn't matter whether they they sin. He will give it because he wants to. I will do what I want to do with this eternal life. I have got a third. You know when God gives you mercy. It's not because of what you did. It's because, because he chose to do it. You know many times. Many times if you hear a man telling you. Don't tell me what to do. I will do what I want to do. Is that good news or bad news? Bad news. <laughs> when, when, when if you hear a man saying that, or if you hear of, if, if all the people, if your wife says that, oh my goodness. If, a, if your wife says to you, don't tell me what to do. I will do what I want to do. Is that good news or bad news? Because when a, when a man says this, or when a woman says this, when the moment you hear that, you think negative, correct? But when God says that, he is thinking positive. He says, don't tell me what to do. I will bless you whether you like it or not. That's what he's meaning. I will forgive you whether you like it or not. Who are you to tell me that I should not forgive you? Who are you to tell me that you don't deserve it? Who are you to tell me That you are not ready for healing. Who are you to tell me? I will do what I want to do. And I will do it how I want to do. You know what? Paul used that exact language in Romans chapter 9. He says if God out of his abundance of his riches of his mercy. Wants to show himself strong. Who are you to tell no? If God wants to show himself strong by blessing you. Who are you to tell? Don't do it. If God wants to give you a million dollar house want you to tell don't give me others will think bad about me guys what's your problem it is his reputation it is his job it's his victory it is his name i milo always says don't scream when i get too excited but but, but there are some points that you can only get across by screaming okay <laughs> this is a scream time okay okay let's go back let's go back john chapter 17 just stay with me Uh, verse uh romans chapter 9 verse 14 what shall we say then is there unrighteousness with god certainly not for he says to moses i will have mercy on whoever i have mercy i'll have compassion on whoever i have compassion you see god is using the same word that you would never use but he uses it. i will give mercy to whoever i want i will have compassion on whoever i want to give compassion so, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Oh my, you need to read that. Just underline that. verse, Romans chapter 9 verse 16, it says, So then, because God is doing this, God is deciding to bless you. It's God's decision. It is therefore not of him who wills. That means it's has nothing to do with your willpower. It has nothing to do with your discipline. It has nothing to do with your ability. It has nothing to do with him who runs. That means not because of your efforts. But of him who shows mercy. Do you get the picture? And look at what he says. Verse 19. You will still say to me, Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? Then he says verse 20. But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed him, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay for the, from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and the another for dishonor? What if? And it comes to the point. Verse 22, what if God wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. But the good part is the next part. Verse 22, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. <laughs> Do you like that? The riches of his glory on the vessels of his mercy. If God wants to show off, who are you to say, don't do that? Paul is Paul is very clear. He's saying, how, what, what, hold on, what are you trying to tell me? I cannot bless you because I want to? I cannot forgive you because I want to? Because I, want, I want to show you as an example to the whole world that how a blessed person in Christ Jesus is. Who, who are you to tell me, don't do it? See, we look at that passage in a negative sense. Oh, he hardened Pharaoh's heart. He never hardened Pharaoh's heart. In fact, it says for the first three or four times, it was Pharaoh who hardened his heart. And then God said, okay, if you want to harden your heart, stay there. He didn't harden it us, He just stayed hardened. So that's what the whole point is. But he uses that for, his, for your benefit. How, why, if he has to show the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, what I, who are you to complain? Say no complaints. Pile it on, God. Pile it on. <laughs> no. <laughs> that should be a message. Lord, I want to be a recipient of your miracle. I want to be the recipient of your anointing. I want to be the recipient of your riches. I want to be the recipient of your power. Pile it on, Lord. Pile it on. I, okay, let's go back to John chapter 17. As you have given him authority over all flesh that he has given him eternal life to as many as you have given him. And verse three, and this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. What is the next part? I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Is the word reporting back? Yes, and he uses the same word. I have finished the work. And what is the work that Jesus is talking about here? Correct. How do we know that? Let's look at this. John chapter 17, verse 20 onwards. Let's read 20 onwards. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through the word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. Wow! He's saying when the world looks at the finished work in them, they will definitely know that this is not George's doing or Prasad's doing, it is my doing. When they see the finished work, the world will know that I have been sent and did this you got it you got the point picture so this is what is the finished work the finished work is you becoming god i know that will shock you but that is exactly what it was accomplished god i know it's you now it's shocking theologies right i mean it is like you know, your traditional mind you becoming god yes Because God made you in his image, but the fruits of it was never seen because Adam sinned. Now, in fact, Jesus himself said, when the Pharisees said, how can you say that you and my father are one? Remember what did they say? You are committing blasphemy. And what was Jesus' response to them? He He quotes Psalms and he says, isn't it not said in your scriptures that you are God's? See, Jesus didn't refute that. He said, doesn't the law say that you are gods? But if you go back to that Psalm, I think it is in Psalms 102, right? I think most likely in Psalms 102 says, you are gods, but you will die like men. Wow. That means because you didn't realize that you are a god, you will die like men. See, by you, you not living as God causes you to live like men. Men in a derogatory manner, in an inferior manner, because God's plan was never for you to live like men. God's plan for you to be like equal with God, the same like God, in God, in Jesus. Jesus says, I have finished that work, Father. What a work. Can you believe if if the world looks at you and says, man, this guy operates like God operates. They know that it is definitely not because he went to a seminar. It's definitely not because he read a book. It's not, definitely not because he, he worked so hard in his life. It has to be supernatural. In fact, Nicodemus came and told Jesus exactly the same thing. Master, we know that no man can do these things unless he's come from God. No one. Because they knew by the work. And this is the work that Jesus said, I have finished it. What is the work? The, let's, let's keep reading. Verse 20. That they may be one as you are, uh, as you father are in me and I in you. That they may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory, get ready. Glory is that righteousness. And the righteousness or the glory which you given me, given me, I have given them. That they may be one as we are one. There's no point you being like God if you don't have the same righteousness that God has you can say, you know um, uh, uh, my me and my son are one, but he lives in a, in, a, in a slum, but I live in this mansion. Does it make sense? No. If I and my son are one, he has access to everything that I have. He lives like I live. He operates like I operate. He is as rich as I am rich. See, that's why he's saying, I have given them the same righteousness. Is he in the process of giving or he has given? given. Past tense or future? Past Past tense. Past tense. He has given. It's done. Keep reading. Verse 23, and this is the verse I want you to underline in your Bible. This is the finished work of Jesus Christ. What's the title of the message today? Your perfection a finished work. It's a past work. It's finished. Look at what he says in verse 23. I in them, Jesus is talking to the Father. I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. That the world may know that you sent me and I've loved them as you have loved me. Your perfection is Jesus' accomplishment. This has to completely settle yourself in your spirit. You need to know that perfection is an accomplished work of Jesus Christ. The word reported back to the Father that I have made them perfect. See, this is a conversation that Jesus is not having with you. This is a conversation that Jesus is having with his father. And you are just eavesdropping in that conversation. And the Holy Spirit allowed you to eavesdrop into this conversation for what purpose? He made you eavesdrop in his conversation so that you will know that what the Jesus talk thinks about you is matches reality. like for example, if somebody says something to you and somebody says something about you to somebody else and and you eavesdrop in that conversation, which one do you hold more credibility? Correct? Because, Because this person is telling somebody else about you is more likely to be true than somebody who tells you directly on your face. Correct? Because the chances that somebody is just flattering you or somebody is just telling you because to make you feel good is very likely. But somebody who, when you are not in your midst and say something about you, most likely is a true reflection of what he thinks. Yes or no? Correct. So when Jesus is telling the father, I have made them perfect. And you just happen to hear that. What does that give you? Confidence. Confidence. Confidence, because it will make you confident to do what? Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. Look at the word way shows up, which He consecrated for us through his veil, which is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a what heart? heart? A true heart. A heart that is not afraid. Why? Because you know that you are perfect. See, you cannot enter the most holy place of the temple without being confident about what? Who could come into the most holy place in the temple? Only the high priest. How many times in a year? once and when he comes once a year what does he have to do to be in the holy place without dying he has to sprinkle himself with the blood of blood of the lamb that's the only condition it doesn't matter what he did outside he has to come in with the blood so that's the way he can only come because he himself is a sinner but the only way he would not die is because he's proclaiming that hey hey don't kill me i already died how did he die? When he offered the lamb, he's saying the lamb is me dying because he's talking about Jesus. Jesus died. He's borrowing the death of Jesus as a credit and he's entering the holy place and saying, don't kill me. I already died. And the God looks at it and says, yes, I see the blood of the lamb. That means I see the blood of Jesus Christ. I, I agree you died and you're righteous because of his blood. Amen? So, So he goes in once a year. That's it. But right now, Paul is saying in Hebrews chapter 10, he says, have the boldness with a true heart to go into the Holy of Holies. Why? Because of John chapter 17, you are already perfect once for all. You can go in with this boldness because this perfection has to do with what aspect of you? Okay, keep reading. Verse 22 Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. So, perfection has everything to do with your conscience. Okay, I want everybody to unmute your mic and repeat after me. My perfection has everything to do with my conscience. My conscience is clean. And I am perfect in my conscience. And I am perfect in God's eyes. So this is where it's normally misunderstood. You are expected as a believer to always have a sensitive conscience. Wrong. As a believer, you should have a true heart and a clean conscience. A clean conscience is a conscience that does not condemn you of sin. Let me ask you a question. Because if you had sin consciousness, you would not be perfect according to God's standard of perfection. How do I know this? That He's talking about sin consciousness as being a mark of test of perfection. So let me repeat this: the true test of perfection is what your conscience tells you about sin. How do I know this? Let's go. Same chapter. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. Sushil, can you read that loud? For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with the same sacrifices which they continually offered year by year. And this is the most operative important word. Make those who approach perfect. See, the sacrifices could not make them perfect. Then you'll say, in what area? Perfect in what area? The next verse. For. This is the test of perfection. For then they would not have ceased to be offered. Question mark. For the worshippers once purified would have no more consciousness of sins you see paul clarifies what it means to be perfect if you are perfect you will not you will pass the test of perfection what is the test of perfection no more consciousness of sins no more consciousness of sins not my words this is the words of the holy spirit according through paul that he writes in hebrews that if you are perfect you will have no more consciousness of sins so if you are conscious of sins that means you are saying that you are not perfect. But Jesus said to the father, I have made them perfect. Who is lying? Let's look at that consciousness is what? Perfection is always related to consciousness. Let's read Hebrews chapter 9, verse 8 and 9. And I'm going to read this. Remember, he's talking about the, you walking into the most holy place in the temple. and He's talking about as a believer. Look, read Hebrews chapter 9 verses 8 and 9 and underline that. Because he's again clarifying that perfection has to do with your conscience. Okay, look at verse 8 and 9. For the Holy Spirit, indicating this, that the way to the holiest of all was not yet manifest. Like when the first temple was standing, the way to enter the holy was not available. So the Holy Spirit, indicating this, that the way to the holiest of holy... All was not manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and offerings were offered which cannot make those who perform the service perfect perfect with regard to what? Conscious. See, God's plan was By offering sacrifices under the Old Testament, they had to be perfect with regard to what? Conscience. But could the Old Testament, the sacrifices, could it achieve that? No. No. But what happened when Jesus died? Cleansed. And our conscience became perfect. Because there is no more what? Consciousness of sin. Consciousness of sins consciousness of sins so it's important that if god says in jesus i have finished the work i have rested my work is done your perfection is an accomplished reality then what is an accomplished reality there is no more consciousness of sins for a believer amen and what is the power of that the that's the benefits of isaiah 55 the mountains and the hills shall break forth with dancing before you Why do you think the thorns and the briar is still showing up in your life? Because you still have consciousness of sins. You have not received the words. Remember therefore in Mark chapter 4, what throttles the word? The briars and the thorns, they grow up and choke the word. Do you see that thing? Because you don't have consciousness of righteousness, you have consciousness of sins, you're conscious of, or your, of your failures, you're conscious of your past mistakes, you're constantly meditating on that and therefore it's always producing all the evil under the law. And therefore Paul says in Hebrews chapter 10, let us hold fast, verse 23, to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Why? What confession is he talking about? The confession of your perfection. So when you read that word, let us hold fast your confession. I want you to underline that and write in brackets, your confession of your perfection. Can you write it down? Let us hold fast our confession. So people say, you know, hold fast the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. No! that you already did you would not get into the kingdom without confessing that oh you have to keep on confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord all the days of your life no you already did that that's not the confession the whole context is 9, 10, 10 He's saying stop confessing that you are not perfect right now stop confessing that you are work in progress stop confessing that you have not arrived yet stop confessing Say what I am telling about you that you are perfect because he who promised is faithful. Because he's saying your perfection has nothing to do with you. He who promised, that means God said, I have made you perfect, I am faithful to keep you perfect. His faithfulness is your assurance that your perfection will never change. I know that's a lot of mouthful, but that is the truth. When you say God is faithful, it means he will never change his opinion about you not being perfect. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So hold fast to your confession of perfection. Why? Because it's a finished work of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. If somebody is building a house, and he is an architect. He builds the. He gives the plans for the design, and everything is done. And he g- gets all the house done, and everything is done. When do you say that the house is done? When the the one who builds the house comes back and tells you that the house is done? Correct. Remember, we talked about it some time back. When the inspector comes back and reports that everything is according to the architect's plan. Then you know that it is done. So the architect and the inspector are at two ends of the spectrum. What's in the middle? The work. work. I love it. I was waiting for that. Between the architect and the inspector is the work. Who will tell you that the work is finished? The architect or the the inspector? Inspector. So let's go to Revelation chapter one revelation chapter one look at the introduction of jesus in revelation i think we have talked about it in one other message john revelation chapter one verses four onwards john to the seven churches which are in asia grace to you and peace from him who is who was and is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and look at the introduction of jesus and from jesus christ the faithful witness. What is, the, what is Jesus witnessing? The work is done. Remember it's a faithful witness. What was he witnessing when he was on the earth concerning you? That, that I have made them perfect. Now he is at the end of age. And John is seeing him at the end of the days. What is he saying? That he is a faithful witness. That means whatever he said about you. Has not changed. He's a faithful witness. He's a faithful witness. He's a faithful witness that he is always testifying that the fact that you are perfect. And look at what he says the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from his sins in his own blood. If God says Jesus' work was to wash you completely from your sins, and if somebody says, That they are not, they still have sin, who is responsible? Okay, I'm going to ask you this question. Think about it very deeply. If somebody says, Hey, I have, uh, take this clothes, wash it, and bring it back to me. And then they finally bring the clothes back and they see the clothes and it still has stains on it. Who has done, has The one who washed it done the job or not done the job? Who is responsible for that? See, you got it? So the one who's been sent to wash it is responsible for what? That everything is clean. So when when Jesus is being introduced as a faithful witness and says, Hey guys, I washed them by my blood. And then, if you keep confessing that you have sinned, what are you telling about Jesus' work? He does, he is, he's not doing a job. He's not doing a good job. Because He is doing the washing. Okay, but say, but no, but I am constantly staining. Is there any reference to what you are doing about here? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he's saying, He washed you. He washed you. So he's saying, I have done the work. So if, 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 if I show up with sin, who's responsible? Jesus is responsible. And Jesus is not going to allow that, is my point. Jesus says, I, I will constantly wash you. I will abundantly pl- pl- uh, 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 cleanse you. I will abundantly glorify you. Why? Because my reputation is at stake. Because I am the one who started this, I am the one who is finishing it. That's why he says, Look at it. This is the first words out of Jesus' mouth. Verse 8. I am the Aleph and the ta- I am the Alpha and the Omega. Or in the in the Hebrew, you he would have said to John, I am the Aleph and the Taf. The beginning and the end. Says the Lord. He who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. So he say, You think it's a work in progress? Let me tell you, I am also the inspector. I have inspected it, and I—it's all perfect. I am not only the architect, but I am also the inspector. What are you waiting for? To stop, start confessing. You say I am waiting for the inspector to show up and say whether I am perfect, whether I have done all my things right in my life. I have—I have lived according to the will of God. I, whether I have done uh, all the things that I have, so I am waiting for that testimony from you. I am telling you, I am the inspector. So who is the house that he built? You. You are the house. You are the tabernacle that God takes great pride in to show off. You are the house that is perfect. You are the house that was made without hands. You are the house that the the Bible says the glory of the latter temple will be greater than the glory of the former temple. Are you excited about it? He says, I have gone to the end, I've inspected it, and guess what? It's still perfect. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your perfection is a finished work. Your perfection is the reason why Jesus has taken on a name which says, I'm the first and the last. It is not about anything else. It's about the fact about your work, about who you are. Why is he going to the end? Is he not confident that his work will turn out what it's supposed to be? No. He's going to the end for your benefit. So he's going to the end and coming back and reporting to you, Sushil. You are perfect. How many years from now? Right now. How many years from now? Right now. Yeah, but how many years from now? Forever. So he's saying... What about in 2030? Will uh, Sushil commit some stupid sin and fall into major trap? What about 2035? What about 2050? What do you think he will say? Forever. 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 I've gone to the end, Sushil. Or I've gone to the end, John. I've gone to the end, Julie. And I find you perfect. I'm telling you, I'm coming back and reporting to you. You are perfect. So go ahead and declare it right now. Go ahead and walk in the finished work right now. Walk in the finished work right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Walk in the finished work right now. And there is so much to talk about, but I want to, uh, I don't know whether we'll be able to get on this topic a little bit later, but, but, I want to take maybe one one or two aspects and then we will close. You know, the Holy Spirit told me that uh, when I was preparing this message, He said there were a couple of people who lived in the finished work and uh, I don't have time to talk about it. It is so beautiful. There is so much stuff. But the one person who lived in the finished work was a person called Enoch. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 5, He says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. You know, Enoch walked with God and Enoch... The Bible says in the next, in Jude chapter 1, verse 14, it says, now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also, saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way. So Jude talks about Enoch as being the seventh from Adam. Again, you see the prophet enoch lived in the seventh day what was so special about the seventh day what happened on the seventh day in creation god rested. god rested from all his work his finished work was a work of perfection of his redemption god had finished perfecting man his work had already finished that means god had crucified jesus god had sacrificed him as a lamb for you and me God had paid the price and everything was finished and then he said it is good but you'll say but i don't see all that but it is there in the seven in the six days he had finished all the work on the seventh day he rested so when he rested from all his works he rested from all of his work of perfection that he did for adam enoch had this revelation And the Bible credits Enoch with being the seventh generation as a picture of the day of rest, Enoch being rest. So what happened to Enoch? You know that Enoch never died. After he begot Methuselah, he was taken and he was not. He never died. Why? Because Enoch lived in the finished work. How did he finish? You know, what was the name of his son that he had? Methuselah. Methuselah means what? Methuselah in the Hebrew means his death will, shall bring the end. So when his, Enoch was 65 years, he has a son called Methuselah. After he has a son called Methuselah, he walks with God 300 years. I want you to focus on it. I'll get, give you, you'll get this revelation, you'll see the power of this finished work. Even look at this man. What he does is he names his son Methuselah. Methuselah means his death will bring the end. His death will bring the end. His death will bring the end. So every day as Methuselah is growing up, what is Enoch confessing? His death will bring the end. His death will bring the end. So, what is he doing? Calling for the end. No. He's proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Does that sound familiar? Why? Communion. When you take communion, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, when you take bread... For as often, this is Jesus directly appeared to Paul and gave him this revelation. I'm going to read this powerful revelation of Jesus to Paul. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. So he received this from Jesus. Can you believe that Jesus showed up to Paul and told him this revelation that will make you never die? He tells you this, he says that the Lord in the same night which he was betrayed to bread. So Jesus recounts to Paul, Paul was not there when Jesus did that. But Jesus shows up and tells him, hey, Paul, do you know what I did? I did this. I took, take, he took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which was broken for you. He's talking about his death. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant. What are the terms of the new covenant? What are the terms of the new covenant? How many of you all have underlined the terms of the new covenant in your Bible? With a show of hands. No? Okay. Go ahead and underline it. Do you have a pen? Go ahead and underline it. It's in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 15 and 16. I'm gonna read it. Did everybody get do you have a pen? You have a pen? I want you to underline it. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 15 and 16. This is the new covenant. You need to know the new covenant. Everybody knows the Ten Commandments, but a lot of believers do not know the new covenant. He says this is the new covenant. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. See, look at the word witness. For after he had said before, verse 16, get ready to mark it with red. This is my covenant which I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, not the Ten Commandments. And in their minds will I write them. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's not writing the laws of the Ten Commandments. He's, he's talking about the law of faith of righteousness. Then Verse 17, and he adds, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's the terms of the new covenant. Underline this. Highlight this. So when Paul, Jesus says to Paul. He says in 1 uh, first, first Corinthians. He says chapter 11 verse 23. He says this cup is the new covenant in my blood. What is the new covenant? Your sins and lawless deeds. That means your deeds that you do by breaking the law, what will I do with them? No more. I will remember no more. Why is it important to, for you to know that he will remember no more? So, so you, you yourself should not remember it. Because what, where, you, where do you remember it? Do you remember it in your mind or in your conscience? Because the conscience is the one that uses this remembrance to accuse you. You got it? But God has said that I made you perfect with regard to conscience by telling you the terms of the new covenant. The new covenant is a contract. How many of you all break contracts, written contracts? You don't. You don't break written contracts. How do you think God treats his contract? a covenant is a contract he says a new covenant covenant in my blood you don't co- you don't break contracts written in ink you don't make contracts sent to you by email how much more a contract that is written in the blood of a man he says i will not break it what is the terms of the contract that i will remember your sins and lawless deeds that means the deeds that you do by breaking the law i will do what with that i will remember them no more so when he says when you take this cup first corinthians chapter 11 verse 25 for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death till he comes so when you take communion what are you doing you are proclaiming the God's, God's, the Lord's death, not God the Father's death. You are proclaiming God the Son's death, right? Son's death. For how long? Till he comes again. One sec. Till he, Til he comes. So there are two operative things in when you are taking communion. You are proclaiming two things. What are the two things that is that you proclaim? You're proclaiming that Jesus died for you. For your sins. Correct? Price has been paid. So therefore I, I will not remember my sins anymore. Correct? That's one. And second thing, what, do, what am I proclaiming? What does he say? You proclaim the Lord's dead till he comes. So what are the two things that you proclaim? Simple. You're proclaiming two things when you take communion. You're proclaiming the fact that... Jesus died for you and all the benefits of that and second that he is coming correct now let's go back to Methus- uh, enoch so when enoch is growing up after 65 he keeps calling his son methuselah methuselah means what his death will bring he will bring what the coming of the lord the coming his death will bring my righteousness his death will bring the finished work his death will bring the end what is the end for enoch the end is his perfection so he is constantly declaring looking ahead and saying his death the lord's death because the bible says he walked with god because he saw jesus christ he says he walked with god he walked with god he saw jesus and he says jesus you're going to die one day And your death will bring my perfection. And then you will come back into this world with me riding in the clouds. He had this revelation and he kept confessing it, holding fast to his confession every day by calling his son what you God tells you to take communion with. So powerful. When he did that, what happened to Enoch? He He did not die. Why? Because he's confessing that Jesus died for him. He's living in the seventh day, even when he was not in the seventh day. You see the benefits of the finished work? The benefits of the finished work is supernatural. God would not allow him to continue on the earth and face death. His body will not die. Because he's declaring the seventh work. Seventh day. He's declaring the finished work. He's declaring that I, my son has already died and he's coming. And look at what Jude says. And Enoch the seventh from Adam. Jude chapter 1 verse 14. Prophesied about these men saying, Behold the Lord. Jude chapter 1 verse 14. Look at look at the revelation that Enoch has, and Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, "Behold, the Lord comes." Who told them? The Lord comes. This is not God the Father coming, because he's look at what he says. Behold, the Lord comes with how many? With ten thousands of his sins. Who gave him that revelation? That he is a saint. See the power of that word of righteousness that he received. That kept him alive. And he is still alive today. Without facing death. Behold the Lord comes. By doing this. When you take communion. You proclaim the Lord's death. Metu Until he comes. Behold he comes. You know, that's the power of living in the seventh day, in the finished world. Your perfection is a finished world. Because he, Enoch confessed that he, he is perfect in Christ Jesus, guess what he is, what is he now? You know, why does e, Why did Enoch's body not transform? H- how can his physical earthly body transition into heaven? How, how is it possible? Because he inherited a body from Adam. And Adam says in First Corinthians chapter 15, when Paul is writing about resurrection, he says, a corruption cannot inherit corruption. He's talking about bodies. He says, your natural body cannot enter the kingdom of God. But yet Enoch's body entered heaven. How? Because he is confessing the finished work, the perfection. Remember that we who remain shall be changed by being perfect because what you are will, will transition. Because he confessed perfection, he says what? He was perfect in his spirit, perfect in his body, perfect in his soul. You see the power of that word of righteousness, of the finished work of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Was Enoch perfect because he, he, he did anything perfect or because he confessed perfection? Because he proclaimed. Say proclaimed. proclaimed. You proclaim. You con- That's why Hebrews 10 says, hold fast to your confession. What confession? You hold fast to your proclamation. What proclamation? You hold fast to your confession of perfection. How long? How long? Okay. Until he comes. Because when you come, what's going to happen? You You already know that you're perfect. Right now, you need to hold fast. Because though you're perfect, your natural eyes tell you otherwise. And that is why you have to confess your perfection. Isn't that beautiful? And Hebrews talks about Enoch. Hebrews talks about Enoch. And he says, By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. See, remember you use the word without faith. It is impossible to please God for he who believes uh, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. How many of you have read that verse? That without faith, it is impossible to please God. Right? You know know that that is written with respect to Enoch? What was the faith of Enoch that pleased God? Enoch was declaring that he is perfect without seeing the effects of it. It pleased God. He's like, man, he's believing that my son is going to die for him. He's believing my son is going to come again. He's believing my son is going to make him a saint. And he says, man, he's confessing. He's calling metu salah, metu salah every time in the house. He's like, he's progr- so how many times should you take communion? As often. As often. As. As often. Because when you take communion, you proclaim your perfection. You proclaim the terms of the new covenant. You proclaim his coming. You proclaim. So that's the power. Your perfection is a free. And this is what Hebrews says. This faith pleases God. When, when Enoch says that he was perfect in Christ Jesus is a faith that pleases God. You know that perfection. I know we have, the message is long. I have not even started on the other parts. I don't know when this message will end in terms of your glory and your righteousness. But we have to cover some of these parts. But I just, just, just think about Enoch. Just think about Enoch. That he confessed this. And then we'll close with this final one. Final one. Oh, there's something so juicy and I wanted to tell you that. I don't know whether we have the time. But I will, I'll try you know when 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 god had to told jericho when god told joshua joshua i have given jericho into your hands i have given jericho into your hands he said and lord said to J- joshua see i have given jericho into your hands J- joshua chapter 6 verse 1 Jericho is in your hand. It's king and the mighty men of Wallah. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. then, And you shall do for six days. And the seven priests who shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns. Such a specific instruction. He says, while Jericho is standing, how do you take Jericho? Don't do anything. You go around it seven times. You go around it six days. You go around it every day. You march around how many times? Once. And on the seventh day, you'll march around how many times? Seven times. times. Correct? So this is the instruction he said. You want to take Jericho? I'll tell you how to get you Jericho. I've given it to you. But this is how you'll take Jericho. Correct? This is Now I'm telling you, this God is going to enlighten this word up for you supernaturally. He says... You want Jericho, right? What what is your Jericho? Jericho is everything that the giants are holding that belongs to you. Jericho is everything that the giants are holding that belongs to you. And what do giants hold? What kind of houses do they build? Big houses. How much money do they have? A Lot of money. Everything of the giants is huge. But Lord says, I have given it to you. But how do you take it? You take it by doing this. You walk in the finished work. You proclaim the finished work. This is what you do. You walk around it, march seven, six days. Six days is a picture of time, of man. When Jericho is on the earth, this is how you take it. You march around it. You take your seven priests, that is you are a priest. You will bear seven trumpets, specific trumpets, not brass, not of the law, not of judgment. Very, very clear. There were trumpets of brass in the Old Covenant. You don't take the trumpets of brass. Don't proclaim the law. Take trumpets of the ram's horns. What is a ram? Is a male ram. Horns. How do you get the horns of a ram? How do you get it? when you kill it so when you blow through the ram's horn what are you doing proclaiming the ram has died. you're proclaiming that the ram has died so when you pro- when you blow through the ram's horn you are doing what according to the new testament proclaiming you're proclaiming the lord's death correct so you're proclaiming the finished work Correct? So you go around your Jericho, you walk around it, you will not say one word. Look at what Joshua said. Joshua chapter 6 verse 10. And Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout. Say not shout. And not make any noise with your voice. And nor shall a word proceed out from your mouth until the day I say shout. But what shall you do? You shall blow the trumpet's of ram's horns that means you are only supposed to make one noise when you are about if you want to take jericho what is the noise ram's death death. so don't say anything else don't say how big the giants is don't say how challenging the situation is don't say that i don't have a mortgage to pay i don't don't say that the banks will not give me money don't say all that no sound say no sound so what do you proclaim you proclaim now this is jericho you want to take it you proclaim what? You proclaim the Lord's death, the ram's death while you walk around it. Correct? So they did that. So once a day they would walk around it while they keep blowing the ram's horn. Correct? So on the so six days, what happened? Did Jericho fall? No. no. So should you change your confession? No. no. So what do you do on the seventh day? What do you do on the seventh day? Yeah. So, this, look at how ridiculous it is. On the seventh day, nothing happened on six days, correct? Nothing happened. You, you proclaim the Lord's dead, Jericho is still there, correct? But on the seventh day, what do you do? You do more of the same. You do se- <laughs> only, only in the Bible, only according to the law. Uh, uh, oh, sorry, uh, uh, according to the Lord. Will you do stuff that doesn't work? Having done all to do. Stand. stand. That means you stood, nothing happened, do what? Continue to stand. Stand. So you you walked around Jericho six days, you proclaimed the Lord's dead six days, on the seventh day, how much more do you, should you do that? Do seven times. How about seven times? I'm <laughs> like, what? Why, why, why would I do, I can understand once, but why would I do that seven times? That's, the picture, because the finished work will not fail. It will accomplish what it said it will do. It will not return to me void. Did Jericho fall when they did it seven times the last day? Yes. yes. So when will your healing come? You Seventh day. Yes. When the word reports back and says what? The hour has come. The hour has come. The hour has come. While you're waiting for the RS come, what do you do with the ram's death? You say, Metu Sela, Metu Sela, Metu Sela. That's what you do. And did Enoch know when he would be taken away? He had no idea. But before the year was passed, that's why the word 300 years, because in those days one year was equivalent to like one day of today. People lived so long. Before the year was done. He was raptured. You know how many years did Enoch live? 365 year, days? 65 years, which is a picture of 365 days in a year. Because he never died. He never saw night. He lived in the day. One day. For him, is like one year. It's like 365 years. He never Before the year was up, he was in heaven with God the Father. The power of proclaiming the ram's death. Do you see the power? Live in the finished work. Don't, oh, I'm going, to, I'm going to fight Jericho with all my weapons. I've got strategy. I need to dig a tunnel. I have to go under. I have to bring water. No. Just walk around do foolish things. Like proclaiming the last day. Don't say anything more. Just shut up. Don't open your mouth. Don't say anything about the situation, how big the giants are. It's been five days. It's still not fallen. It's been six days. It's still not fallen. On the 7th day, Joshua is telling us to do it now 7 times. Is he crazy? (laughs) No, you do the same thing. Because the word will not return to you void. The finished work of perfection of your righteousness in Christ Jesus will not return to you void. I, I tell you that scripture is going to take a totally different meaning every time you read that now. My word shall not return to your word. It will come back and say, Reporting, sir, the hour has come. <laughs> Reporting, sir, the hour has come. What happens on, on 299 day? Enoch is saying, Metu Sela, Metu Sela, and he's about to give up. And it is day 300. And he stops saying, Metu Sela. Don't give up, Maktou. Don't give up. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that is so good don't give up mutu (laughs) that is so I I think Hebrews chapter 10 has taken a totally different meaning for me when I hear hold fast to the confession I am going to write it down don't give up mutu (laughs) I am telling you if, if you see a believer giving up you should tell them mutu don't give up <laughs> <laughs> Take communion. <laughs> Stop talking. I don't want to hear. The Jericho is big. The land is big. The giants are big. Declare the finished work. I am telling you. No, this is so good. This is so good. This is so good. See, some of the best juicy parts happen at the end of a life, team, correct? <laughs> Just like that. He who who, who stays, he who holds on. Some of the best part. This is powerful. I'm telling you, you just have to hold on. Hold on to the finished work. Just do more of it. Just declare it. Live in the finished work. Declare it. See how unique it is. This is the faith that pleases God. Not any other faith. Oh, the faith with. No, faith of confession, your perfection. Declare it confess it the terms of the new covenant i have no consciousness of sins say but you're a, you're a, you're a, you're crazy you're lying i don't care i'm going to line up with what god says the faithful witness he goes he has gone to the end and he's told me that i'm faithful i know about it it's done it's done it's done it's done it's done hallelujah wow okay now since we are in it Let's go to one chapter, one powerful revelation that you will see this. This is so beautiful. Remember what Jesus said when he was referenced, his introduction in Revelation is, I am the first and the last. First was the first word that came out of Jesus' mouth. Revelation is what? Revelation chapter 1, what is the first words that came out of Jesus' mouth? What is the first word? I am the Alpha and Omega. In in Hebrew, what, what, would, he, what would he have said to John? Aleph taf. I, I am the Aleph Taf. You know, when Jesus showed up in Revelation, the first words out of his mouth to a Jew. John was a Jew, correct? He's telling a Jewish man who's in Christ Jesus right now. He says, John, tell the seven churches. I am Aleph Taf. That's the first word out of his mouth. Why? Aleph Taf has everything to do with his finished work. When I say I am A and Z, means what? What about what about B? What about C? What about D? What about H? What about I? What about M? See, all the other details doesn't matter. Because if I am A and Z, means what? I'm everything in between. I'm everything in between. See, the fact that I said that I am Z is a fact that I have finished it. Yes or no? Yes, finished what? The work concerning whom? Concerning you. See, Aleph Taf is all about you. Aleph Taf is all about your work. See, the work that was unfinished was you. See, the works of God was all done until it came to man. When God created man, the work never ended till Jesus died and rose again then Jesus could go and back and report to the God and say, it is finished. Now I can sit down on my father's right hand. You got it? So the work had never finished until Jesus had resurrected because the unfinished work of creation is the unfinished work of, re- of perfection that God had planned for you. So when he finished that, only then he could rightly say, I am Aleph Taf. See, Aleph Taf is not for God's benefit. Aleph Taf is for your benefit. Remember, God doesn't have an end. He does not even have a beginning. You were the work in progress. You were the unfinished work of redemption. And when God said, when Jesus said, I'm Aleph Taf, I am telling you, it is a, it's a testimony and a witness to my finished work for you, for your life. For your benefit, for your children, for your descendants, for your household, I am telling you, I am a left half. Don't believe anybody else. I am a left half. I have gone to the end, and I am telling you, it's all well. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. No, so, 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 Jesus is telling a Jewish man, "I am a left half." Immediately, John would have immediately clicked. Because there is this one word that is always untranslated in the Hebrew Bible, and what is that one word? Aleph. Do you know the word Aleph shows up in the first verse in the Bible, right in the middle of the verse? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the middle of that verse, in Hebrew, is this untranslated word, and I'll tell you how to look at it. Go to Bible Hub. Go to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and go to the interlinear version in Hebrew. It'll it'll show the verse in Hebrew and it'll translate it in English below it. Right in the middle the first verse in the Bible in the Bible in Hebrew has seven letters. It's like the menorah. Right in the center of the verse the fourth word is a word called aleph tav which is untranslated. Which is what Jesus shows up at the end in Revelation and says, I am Aleph Taf, I am that Aleph Taf in the middle. Why? Because Jesus is in the center of the first verse of the Bible. Because He is the Aleph Taf. He is Aleph Taf. You know, this word Aleph Taf throughout the Old Testament in Hebrew shows up at critical times in the Bible where it has to refer to Jesus Christ. It will show up. At critical times in the Bible when it shows up about Jesus Christ. So I want you to go to a passage and this will bless you. Uh, This will bless you. Go to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. So God is doing, Moses is about to set up the tabernacle. Okay? And this is the word, Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Did you see that verse? Exodus chapter 40, verse 40, 34. And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar. And hung up the screen of the court gate, so Moses finished the work. You see that? Okay. Then the the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Did you see that? When Moses had finished the work, the Bible says, the glory of the Lord entered the tabernacle. So, what God had told Moses, hey, this is how you set up the tabernacle. And once you set up the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord will come in. But when did the glory of the Lord come in? When the work was finished. When the work was finished. See, when does the glory of God come into the tabernacle? Tabernacle is the picture of the church, which is your body. Correct? When does God's glory come into you? When the work is finished. When the work is finished it will not come in an unfinished work remember what jesus said in john chapter 17 the glory that i have given that you have given me i have given you which was the glory that came into the tabernacle same glory that jesus is talking in john chapter 17 he says i cannot get this glory my glory into this tabernacle unless they are unless they are perfect Unless they are perfect. Uh, the glory cannot come in. So so when did the glory come in? In Exodus chapter 40. When the work was finished. The fact that the glory of God is in you. Is a testament of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Okay. Are you excited about I will show you something. Yes. Let me read this in the Hebrew Bible. With Aleph Taf. Are you ready? Okay, do you see, do you see this, this book? I ordered this from Amazon. It's called the Messianic Aleph Taf scriptures. So what they did was, they, they, they wrote the whole Bible in English, but wherever the word Aleph Taf shows up, they left it in the verse. So this, this Bible has all the Aleph Tafs left in its context. Like, for example in the first verse in the bible remember i told you in the first verse on the bible the aleph taf is there so i'm going to read it with aleph taf untranslated because the, the hebrew don't know how to un- translate that word aleph taf they don't know what is that word they don't know, there's no word they don't know what that word they leave it untranslated they don't even pronounce it but it is jesus christ he's there okay so let's look at the first verse uh, genesis chapter 1 it says okay in the beginning Okay, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, created Elohim, Aleph Taf, the heavens and the earth. Did you hear that? So, if you read it as when, now you know in Revelation, Aleph Taf is who? Okay, unmute, please. Jesus. Jesus Christ. So, let's read it with Jesus, right? Because Jesus told, I am Aleph Taf. Correct? Now let's read it. In the beginning created Elohim, Jesus Christ, the heavens and the earth. Does it make sense? Because First John says, he was in the beginning with word, and the word was, was God, and all things that were made, was made by, through the word. Correct? That is, everything that was made by, was made through Jesus Christ. Completely matches this. Correct? Now let's read Exodus chapter 40. This this finished work. Let's read it. Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. Okay, you read in the King James Version and I will tell you in the with the Aleph taf untranslated. Okay, everybody has Exodus 40. Say this is about me. Because this tabernacle is you. Who is the tabernacle of God? Myself. Your body is the tabernacle, correct? So this is about you. See how many times Aleph Taf shows up in this passage. See, Aleph Taf doesn't show up everywhere in the Bible. It only shows up in key verses which reflect Jesus Christ. Now let's look at it. Exodus chapter 40 verse 1. And, And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, On the first day of the month, you shall set up taf. the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. See? Jesus Christ is your tabernacle. He, it is His body, is your body. Okay? Next verse. And you shall... Uh, the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. Verse 3. And you will put in Aleftaf, the Ark of the Testimony... And cover the Ark with Aleph Taf, the veil. See, where will you put the Ark of the Testimony? With all the breaking of the law. Your offenses. Where will you put it? In Jesus, in in Aleph Taf. And where will you put the veil? In Jesus. Because the veil is Jesus, correct? The flesh, correct? See, Aleph Taf shows up. And you will bring in Aleph Taf, the table, and arrange its display. What does the table have? The bread. And who is the bread? Jesus Christ. Okay, next read. Aleftaf, the things that are to be set in order upon it. And you will bring in Aleftaf, the menorah and the light, and Aleftaf, the lamps. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ is the lamps, and Jesus Christ is the light. Correct? Look at it. And you shall set Aleftaf, the altar of gold. Who is the altar of gold? Jesus Christ. For the incense before the ark of the testimony and put up, put up, a lift up, the tapestry for the door of the tabernacle. How do you enter in the tabernacle? I am the door. Jesus Christ is the lift up. Okay. Tabernacle. And you will set up Aleph the altar of the burnt offering, before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the. So, who is the altar? Jesus Christ. He is Aleph the altar. And you will set Aleph Taf, the laver, the laver, between the tent of the congregation and the altar. And you shall put water in the al- al- laver. What, who is the laver of the tabernacle? Laver is the place which has the water, the water of the word. Who washes you with the water? Aleftaf, Jesus Christ, he's the one who took the the robe, Tied tied around his waist and he washed the disciples, not with physical water, he's talking about the word, he washes you with the word, he tells you Isaiah 55, George, I will abundantly pardon you, I remember your words no more, this is how he washes you from all your sins, by words. He is affirming your righteousness, He washes you. So never condemn a believer. never beat down any, another fellow believer. you never say because you are you are to wash them with the perfection of Jesus Christ. He's the labor. okay, let's look at it and you will set up a the courtyard all the way around and about and hang up Ale the tapestry at the courtyard gate. He is the gate. He is the courtyard. You enter through gates of Jesus Christ. You walk in the courtyard of Jesus Christ. Correct. And you shall take Aleph Taf, the oil, the anointing. He is the, Jesus Christ, the anointing, the Messiah. And anoint Aleph Taf, the tabernacle. And all that is in it. And you shall consecrate Aleph Taf. And all the vessels for it. And it shall be sacred. And you shall anoint Aleph the altar. For the burnt offering. And all the vessels. And sanctify Aleph the altar. And it shall be a more sacred. Most sacred altar. And you shall anoint Aleph the lever, And its base. And sanctify it. Aleph Taf. And you will bring Aleph Aaron. Aleph Taf Aaron means Jesus Christ the high priest. And his sons. Who is the sons of Jesus Christ the high priest? We. We are the priest after the order of. Al-Pri- you shall bring Aleph Taf and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of congregation and wash them with water. <laughs> Hallelujah. You are always washed. Always washed. And you shall put on Aleph Taf. See? <laughs> you shall put on Aleph Taf, Aaron. <laughs> so. When Paul says, you shall put on Jesus Christ. Remember that word? We never understood that in Greek. Put, therefore, put on Christ. You read that word? Yeah. This is from here. You shall put on Aleph Taf. So when you put on Aleph Taf, you're putting on his righteousness. Hallelujah. Okay. You shall put on Aaron al- uh, garments, Aleph Taf gar- uh, garments, uh, the sacred and anoint Aleph and sanctify Aleph and he may minister to me in the priest office and you will bring his sons and clothe them with tunics and you shall anoint them as you did anoint Aleph their father wow see that means God says you shall anoint you just as he anointed Jesus Christ how did God anoint Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and power he says anoint his sons also with the Holy Spirit and power. Same. Aleph Taf. So that they. May minister to me in the priest office. For their anointing will signify an everlasting priesthood. Throughout all their generations. So Moses did according to all that. Aleph Taf. Hallelujah. So Moses is doing what Jesus Christ told him. Hallelujah. And it came to pass in the first new moon in the second year on the first day of the month that the tabernacle was raised. And raised up Moses, Alephtaf the tabernacle, and fastened Alephtaf his sockets, and, and set up Alephtaf the boards, and put Alephtaf in the crossbows, and raised up Alephtaf his post. Are you saying this? Everything about the temple is Jesus Christ. You have no contribution to this. Oh my goodness. And he spread Aleph Taf the tent over the tabernacle. And put Aleph Taf the covering of the tent about it. As he commanded Aleph Taf Moses. And he took and put Aleph Tav, the testimony, into the ark. And set Aleph taf the poles, in the ark. And put Aleph Tav, the mercy seat on the ark. And he brought Aleph Tav, the ark, into the tabernacle. And set up Aleph Tav, the veil of the covering. And set the ark of the testimony as commanded Aleph Tav, Moses. And he put Aleph Tav, the table, in the tent of the tab in the congregation. And on the side of the tabernacle, facing northward, outside the veil. And he set the bread in a row above the table before as he had commanded Aleftaf Moses. And he put Aleftaf the menorah in the tent of the congregation across from the table and the side of the tabernacle facing southward. And he lit the lamps before Aleftaf as he commanded Moses. And he put Aleftaf altar, the golden, in the tent of the congregation before the veil. And he burned sweet incense on it as he commanded Aleftaf Moses. And he set up Aleftaf the tapestry as the door of the tabernacle. And he put the Altar of the burnt offering by the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation, and offered upon it a the burnt offering. The burnt offering is also the Lord Jesus Christ, and he, and the grain offering as commanded a Moses. Okay, keeps going on, keeps going on, and then finally, verse thirty-three, and he erected a the courtyard around. The tabernacle and the altar, and set up aleftaf, the hanging tapestries of the courtyard gate. So he, Moses finished aleftaf the work. So Moses, you read in the in the English, Moses finished the work. Correct. In the Hebrew, it says, "And Moses finished the aleftaf work." Moses finished the work, Aleph the work, and the cloud covered Aleph the tenth of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled Aleph Tav, the temp- tabernacle. The finished work is the work of Aleph Tav, Jesus, the first and the last. You see how incredible, how many Aleph Tavs are there in this passage. This is no coincidence because everything about you, the tabernacle, is the finished work. If you get this revelation, and we'll talk about it next time, God suddenly changes his title. He suddenly calls himself the Lord of hosts or called the Lord of heavenly armies. Because because he has finished the work, he is now the Lord of heavenly armies on your behalf. Things have changed. Until he finished the work, he was the God of Yahweh, the God who rescues, the God who saves. Now that he has finished the work, now it's time for business. He is the Lord of heavenly armies because what is he going before? His work is before him. His work is finished. He's now going to execute judgment on your behalf from all your enemies. He's the host. And that is why when Hannah prayed for a son, she, the Bible says, this is how she, she started her prayer. She said, O Lord of hosts, change the title because she's living in the seventh day. And the moment Eli said, go your way, your petition is answered, she w- washed her face, and she went happy. Why? Because she doesn't care what she sees. Because she has believed and proclaimed that the f- work is finished. So I, t- I showed you four pictures of the finished work. Enoch, the tabernacle, Jericho and Hannah. Four people, four examples of the finished work. The finished work is the supernatural realm that you and I, have access to it, according to Hebrews chapter 9. The finished work is the work of perfection that God has finished. The Bible says in Isaiah 62, I will not rest until Jerusalem shines forth as a lamb that burns and a righteousness as a lamb that burns. That means I will not rest till she is righteous for how long? Forever. Forever. And that is the chapter... He suddenly switches gears. He says, you will no longer be called forsaken. You will be called married. Remember that verse? Isaiah chapter 62 is the chapter where he starts calling you by different names. When one of the words in that Bible, in Isaiah chapter 62, he says, because I will not rest until your righteousness shines forth. That means I have finished the work. Then I can call you by a new name. I call you married. Let me ask you a question. If somebody asks you, Let me pick up a verse. Let's say Anusha. Let's say, Anusha, are you married? If Anusha says, I am being married. (laughs) If she answers that, there is what? There is a problem. Houston, there is a problem. Correct? Because if, if she says, I am being married, it's a problem. Because either you are married or you're not married. There is no state called being married, correct? Correct? But in Isaiah 62, he says, You shall be married. He's talking about your perfection. Your sons will marry you. He's talking about Jerusalem and you being their, his, their sons. We are married to Jerusalem. That means everything that belongs to heavenly Jerusalem belongs to you. The gold is in heavenly Jerusalem belongs to you. The silver is in the heavenly Jerusalem. Belongs to you. So if you are married to a rich man, what belongs to you? Correct. But if you, Anusha, say that I am being married to the rich man, means do you have access to everything that the rich man has? No. no. When will you have access to the rich man? I am already married. When will you have it? Say after, say after, (laughs) not while being, not while going to. You get access to all his riches moment you are married. So God says in Isaiah chapter 62, Jerusalem, your sons shall marry you. You shall no longer be called forsaken. You shall be called married, say past tense, married. So you are now married to, the, uh, to heavenly Jerusalem and now has all the riches of heavenly Jerusalem. Yes or no? Yes, yes. Because you are being married or you are past tense? Past. Okay. past tense. When can you access all the riches of heavenly Jerusalem? Right now. But what if you keep confessing that you are going to be married? You cannot access it because of because of a lie or because of a fact because of a lie that is why it is important to hold fast to your confession of perfection because Jerusalem cannot get you stuff to you because you are constantly saying that I am being married I am being married that has no value to access heaven's resources. Do you get this point? You have to say, put it in the past tense. You have to say that I am married. I am married to this heavenly Jerusalem. It has all the riches I need. It's done deal for me. Past tense, complete. All work is done. It's Everything is over. I am now entering. I have already received it. I am married. You cannot access this without having that revelation of your perfection in Christ Jesus. You got it? So this is how Jerusalem is married to you, is not being married. Your names have changed. When Jesus comes on the white horse, he comes with so many crowns on his head. Crowns on his head is all crowns of past victories. The fact that he divided the Red Sea, he got a crown. He he rescued... A, uh daniel from the lion's den he got a crown he rescued uh, uh, isaiah uh, from all the uh, uh, kingdoms that were arrayed against him he got a crown he rescued uh, 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 joseph from the prison he got a crown but when he comes on a white horse he comes with a name that no one knows what he has except himself and then later on the bible says that name is revealed and what is the name and the name says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Of all the victories that he could take, he comes back with a name which talks about you. He says, he's your king. He's a king of kings. Let, let me, I asked, once I was having a, a conversation with John in the office. Sometimes when we, uh, yeah, John is here. In, uh, so sometimes we will talk and we'll talk something and then we just go into a Bible study. <laughs> and we are in the office and like work to be done you know we are like going. so what, what we, we were sharing and he said when Jesus comes back on that white horse like if somebody says I am the king of Turkmenistan and I am the king of, you know, do you think it has a lot of value some value, some value. what about I of uh, king of Zebrastan so, so, people are started laughing, correct? Hey, but, but hey, but why are you laughing? You're a king. It doesn't matter whether you're king, but what are your king of is most important. That means, who are your king of is directly proportional to the value of who you are, correct? So, when Jesus picks up a name out of all his victories, he picks up a name and he comes back saying what? He is your king. Do you think he is proud of the fact that he is your king if you are just Zebra's son? <laughs> when he says he's a king of kings and lord of lords, he's talking about you. That means he is so confident of how majestic you are that he calls you a lord, he calls you a king, and he comes back with that reputation. He doesn't come back with the reputation that I've divided the Red Sea. He doesn't come back with the reputation that I am the Lord of the universe. He doesn't come back with the reputation that I have made all the stars. I am the Lord of all the stars. Or I made all the world. I am the son of God. He doesn't come with any of that. When he comes back, he comes back with a reputation about how perfect a work he did for you. That means of all the victories that he is proud of. The victory that he he chooses to showcase is the victory concerning your perfection. How perfect? He calls you King and Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Paul said to the Philippine church, and I will close with this. We have been closing for some time, but we will finally close. This is the final verse. Philippians chapter, okay, Philippians chapter 2, verse verse 5, okay? Can somebody read that? Paul says, let the same mind be in you, that the mind that is in Christ Jesus, he did not consider himself robbery to be equal to God. Because Jesus had this mind. When he said he was the son of God, he did not feel bad about it. He didn't think that he was robbing God. You know, today in this world, in in U.S., there's a law. If you claim to be a colonel or a brigadier or somebody in the armed forces, correct? If, when you're not, they can prosecute you under a law called, what is the name of the law? It's called stolen honor. When you take a name which doesn't belong to you, they, tell, they call you, you're breaking the law of stolen honor. That means you're stealing a honor. That's why Paul is saying, but when you say that you are a Lord, or you are a son of God, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who didn't consider it robbery to be equal to God. That means you should have the same mind. You should not think that you are doing something wrong when you say, I am perfect. I am a God. I am a son of God. You, cannot, you should have the same mind that Jesus had when he said he was a son of God. Paul says, have that same mind. Why? Because Jesus himself calls you king of kings and lord of lords. And you can never say that with a conscience which is not sure of the finished work of Jesus Christ. But what is the power of it? The power is what delighted Enoch with God. God said, he, his faith pleases me. And God took him now you hold fast to that perfection that confession and that mind that jesus christ had who did not consider himself it's a, him, him, uh, to be robbery to be equal with god that means you can say that i'm equal with god and not feel bad i know that sounds crazy but that is the finished work of jesus christ it has nothing to do with you brothers and sisters Why do you feel bad about it is because it feels like you had something to do with it. If God says, and I will close with Romans chapter 9. He says, if God wants to show off how great his work is by having that title for himself, who are you to counter it? Why are you trying to be so humble about it? Why are you trying to be so meek about it? If God wants to do it, let him have the glory. Amen. Amen. I mean, I want you to meditate on it. Go back to the passage. There are a lot of stuff and we'll cover it maybe in the next live team. But I want you to get this meditation, this consciousness of sins, perfection. Your perfection is a finished work. Your perfection is a finished work. Receive this word and it will produce the fruits for you. How will it produce? In in what way it will manifest? I want you to study the scriptures. Get that revelation in your mind. Because if you, as, as he is, so are you in this world, then everything, you start you start manifesting what how rich he is, you start manifesting here on the earth. How healthy he is, you start manifesting on the earth. Enoch to that extent manifested that. He did not even die because he is confessing his perfection in Christ Jesus. And he became what Jesus was. And that's what we are going to enter in. And... Uh, I have to share this one thing because the Holy Spirit is just reminding me. There's one more verse about perfection and I'll close with this because this is a good part and I don't want you to lose it. It is, it is not finished until the gold and the silver comes in. I know Sushil will love it because he, he has a ministry in faith and finances. Let me repeat this. It is not finished until the gold and silver come in. I'm going to read 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 51. 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 51. So all the work that King Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. Remember when the Bible says the house of the Lord, it's talking about you and me. It's a tabernacle. So all the work that the King Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. Say finished. 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 And Solomon brought into the, in the things which, the fa, which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and the furnishings. He put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. What was the last thing to come in before the house was finished? Silver and gold. So say, it is, finished it is not finished until the silver and the gold has come in. Do you believe it? That if God says it is finished, what was the last words of Jesus on the earth? On the cross, before he was resurrected. It is finished. So what is he saying? The gold and silver have come. come in! I know you never saw it that way, but remember that there is no point in having a big house, but nothing in it. When Jesus said it is finished, it means what? The silver and gold has come in. Let me, let, let me go to 2 Chronicles verse 8, verse 16. And according to the order of David, his father, he appointed the divisions of the priests for their service, the Levites for their duties and the gatekeepers by their divisions of each gate for so david the man of god had commanded solomon correct so, and they did not depart from the command of the king to the priest to the levites concerning any matter or concerning the treasuries now all the work of solomon was well ordered from the day of the foundation of the lord of the lord until it was finished So what is the last thing that happened before the work was finished? Treasuries. The the instructions regarding the treasuries was done. Then the work was finished. The last thing that came in was the silver and the gold. And that that is true, right? When you build a house, you don't bring the safe deposit box when the house is under construction. When do you bring the safe deposit box into the house? When everything is done. When the security system is uh, on alert, when the all the services are turned off, the, uh, the, uh, the electricity is on, the Wi-Fi is on, the smart devices are up, the security, everything, then you bring the money in, correct? Then the expensive paintings come in, everything, all the riches come in when the house is done. But, and, but God will not call it finished until the silver and the gold is coming. That is why in Haggai it says, The glory of the latter temple is greater than the glory of the former temple. Silver and gold is mine, says the Lord. When God says the glory that I have, I've given you, when Jesus says that, he is saying, hint, hint, don't forget silver and gold because they are mine. If it is mine, it belongs to you because you are married to that man called rich. (laughs) You are married to a rich Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. For his sake, for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty will become rich. I know this is how the power of the Holy Spirit is. See, nothing is an accident. He says, I will not Call the house finished till the silver and the gold comes in. It is not finished. So now for you, the house is finished or is in work in progress? Finished. Finished. So what about your silver and gold? It is there already. Where is it? In the house. house. And what is the house called? Or Jericho. (laughs) It's called Jericho. And you are walking around it. Because Jericho is your inheritance, correct? It belongs to you, correct? I've given you everything of Jericho. It belonged to the giant, but now you have it. I'm not talking about your tabernacle in Christ Jesus, but everything. Right now, the giants are sitting. So while you're walking around it, the silver and... You know something? When Jericho fell, God said, burn everything up, except what? Silver, gold, bronze, and iron, because they belong to me. Why? Because who is going to get it? His house will get it. You are that house. The silver and gold belongs to Jerusalem and you're married to Jerusalem. You're citizens of the Most High God. And Jerusalem is perfect. Jerusalem, his height, length, breadth is all equal. That is why the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, 21 says, I measured Jerusalem and it's all perfect. Because he's talking about you. That's why it shows up at the very end of the Bible. Because the work was not finished. Until God could say. Go ahead. Measure George, David, uh, George right now. Go ahead. Measure him. I will, God will never say that. Unless he's confident that with respect to his height. With respect to his. I don't want to say breath. <laughs> but he means spiritually. George. Spiritually. That means you can, you have expansion, you have, um, your tents have expanded to take all the increase that comes in. Your breadth, your height, and length, they are all equal. That means they are all perfect. There is no lack. Check him out. Check him out. Check him out. And the Lord says, now fill it up. It's equal, it's perfect, fill it up. And that is why when you read the word, the temple of God, You look at it with this understanding of perfection. That's why when the the handwriting came on the wall in Babylon, it says, That means, you have been measured and found lacking. But when it comes to the church, it says in Revelation, You have been measured and found perfect. You see, there's a handwriting on your wall which says, I don't even know how to translate it. Hopefully one of you all will translate it in Hebrew. Equivalent of mene mene tekel luparsin, in, in your house. What is it written? It says mene mene. That means I measured it. I uh, counted it. And you are perfect. Go ahead. Measure them. They are perfect. And God measured it in revelation for you. He measured you. And he says he's perfect. I don't find anything. Your perfection is his finished work. He said, I will not rest till it is done. He never rested. It is done. In John chapter 17, Jesus says, I finished the work. Your perfection. Get ready with this revelation to start accessing bank accounts that you refuse to access because you are being married. Now, n- now you will be bold enough to write those checks. Why? Because you are no longer being married. You are married according to Isaiah chapter 62. Hallelujah. Let's just pray. Father, we come before your throne of grace. We worship you. We thank you. We give you all the glory, O Master, because your word is revelation as light to a patsular. Oh, makara sikere, ma'alara satanakere. The Lord says, What you read in Exodus chapter 40 is the truth. I am Aleftaf. Every aspect about your tabernacle is me. I am your altar. I am the labor, I am the burnt offering, I am the door, I am the rod, I am everything, says the Lord. I am your gate, I am the bread, I am the light, I am your wisdom, I am your supply, I am your gold and I am your silver, says the Lord. So no one can talk about my unfinished work, for everything about me is perfect. My work regarding you has no lack. When somebody condemns you, they condemn my finished work. And I will not allow it, says the Lord. Hold fast to this confession, says the Father. Because you will have authority to inherit all things of my Son. For my perfection is given to you as a gift, says the Lord. And it is not because of your works, but because of my will. It is not of him who runs or him who wills, but, to, but of him who shows mercy. And I am the one who shows you great hasad, says the father. For in these last days is coming a time of great peril upon this world. But you will not be touched. For the silver and gold is going to make a quick transition to your household and into your life, says the Father. And you will be a steward in these last days of my word of righteousness. For I have found you faithful to proclaim it to the ends of the earth. Thank you, Master. So go ahead with the strength of the supply in the Habam of Gilead. For bring deeply, says the Lord, And be satisfied for the great wealth of the nations are waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. For you were not my people, I called you my people. You were not beloved, but I called you my beloved. And you were not my people, and I called you my son. Therefore, walk with that same mind that was in Christ Jesus. For you are truly my son. Call those things that are not as though they are. And the words will return to you. With the report. The hour has come. The hour has come. Your manifestation of those miracles that you've been pushing forth. Because you are being married. Says change your confession says the Lord. Call yourself of the names in Isaiah 62. Call yourself married. Call yourself. Delighted. Delightful land. Call yourself not forsaken. Call yourself beloved. Call yourself sons of the most high God. For I. Am glorified. In your confession says the father. For it glorifies my honor. And my finished work. Your perfection has been finished and will never be changed. Will never be changed. For my righteousness will not be abolished, says the Father. I have said it and it shall stand forever. Walk into my goodness, for as I decided That my wrath will not cease on Israel until the price was paid. I have so determined in my heart that I will not stop blessing you until the whole world sees that I am glorified in you. Therefore, get ready for increase. Get ready for victories and get ready for signs and wonders that I will do through your life and through your hands. For I will glorify myself and my name in these days, in your generation, says the Lord. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Lord. Father, we worship you for your word. We thank you for your blessing upon us. We thank you because you are good unto us. We worship you. We thank you. We seal this. In the mighty name of the Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.